<laughs> you got some cool little like horror intro, John. Welcome to movie boovie. <laughs> I like that movie boovie. <laughs> That's a nice ring to it. Yeah. Episode 89. Welcome. We always say that like it has some significance. Here we are, folks. <laughs> Episode 89. It is significant in the sense that we actually made it to the next number. Yeah, man. We've always appreciated the actual progress of the show. Definitely. Mm-hmm. The fact that we have continually been putting episodes out is a is a positive thing. And as you pointed out in your early episodes, when you guys chose to call that one 001 and not 01, that was the promise of three digits. Yeah. Exactly. And we're, we're now 11 episodes we're so away. Close. We're so close. That third digit, is I can just see it right over there in the corner. It's just like winking at me. It's right in the, right in the horizon. Is it luring me in? Mm. We're almost there, guys. Almost crazy, there. but right now we have a little bit of business that's seasonally appropriate to deal with. It's our, mm-hmm. it's our Halloween spooky episode. It's very spooky. I know we, <laughs> yeah, I know the first time you guys did it, I think you may have just done favorite horror films. Yeah, yeah. and then the second time you did it, which was I was on board, <laughs> and we did scariest moments. Right, yeah. and we were trying to think of something a little different to do, and I suggested that we do the the horror movie heroes, mm-hmm. the good guys in horror movies or protagonists. So. What what did that mean to you, Ronald? Horror movie heroes. Well, I mean, the person that doesn't necessarily survive in the end, but puts up a fight. You yeah. know, that's 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 what I love. I love even if somebody doesn't survive, I like the idea that there is somebody that comes out of the woodwork and tries to kick the ass of the person or outsmart them. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I prefer outsmarting over just beating them up because a lot of the times they're the the here the the villains are normally so strong or so their their ability is so ridiculous that they have to find some way to defeat them that's a little outside the box rather mm-hmm. than just hitting them over the head with a hatchet so um yeah that's that's the hero to me I know that you love horror films the same way that I do, Steve. That you spend a lot of time watching, even the ones you know aren't going to be that good, sure. just because you have to you have to scratch that itch. It, it's a check mark with horror movies. I actually came up with this list pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I, I want to say this conversation, and when you, if, if memory serves, like you kind of brought this up right around like when like your next came out, because mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a female lead in that that like I was definitely thinking about it at that point, and you had mentioned this as an idea, so. I when I saw that movie, I'd, I'd already started to think about this list, so it's kind of like I, I kind of was ahead of it a little bit. And when we decided to actually do it, um, I already had a solid, you know, four or five characters in mind. I tried to go through and pick different, not completely different types, because I think that some of them kind of fit a a mold in some ways. But even with the that mold being there, there's characters that offered something different in each situation that they were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> whether it was uh, a physical asset or a mental game that they were able to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think actually of, the, of our list shows that we've done, because it's something that I feel very strongly about yeah. and I have a, a, a quite a bit of uh, exposure to, this is a list that I, I was pretty happy to come up with and not stress out about. Why don't you start us off? Really, John? Steve, I think it's your turn. You're going to throw it to me first? I think it's your turn to go first. Well, in the essence of going first, I will have to say (laughs) that my first pick was probably the first final girl um, Mm. to ever kind of create the mold that many that came after her would would fill, and that would be uh, Laurie Strode from Halloween, um, famously played by Jamie Lee Curtis in, in three of the Halloween films. Um. 
basically everything about this character is what created every, um, I don't want to say like, I don't know, every rule almost that a lot of slasher films followed in, 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 the, in the ones that came after it. Um, you know, the, the clean cut, the virgin, the babysitter, <clears throat> just the all around nice girl who just is in the wrong place at the wrong time, who manages to survive. She doesn't really beat the villain or, you know, the, the monster or the killer. She just manages to outlast uh, his reign in that moment. Um, and in the films that she appears in after the original, which are obviously way, way worse and, and very... Her roles, her roles in them are, are nowhere near as good as the first Halloween. I think Halloween actually is probably one of my all-time favorite horror films, <clears throat> hands down. But Laurie Strode is just... Uh, I don't know. She's just a goody two-shoe who, who just kind of outlasted Michael Myers. And... Uh, I think the biggest the biggest flaw of her character in the series is just how they killed her, which I hate it. Um, it has nothing to do with the original movie, so I'm just not even going to get too far into it. Yeah, it's not really a spoiler <clears throat> for the first film to say that she they, they brought her back a couple of times, and one time is was much later. I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah she, I think she's actually now that I think, it was, I think she's, she's in, in four. four of them. Yeah, yeah, so it's one two. I hate H2O, that I know that H two O. Yeah, Woo! one two H two O and resurrection, and and the resurrection is just. It's almost yeah. like she's she's a cameo in that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's just it's horrible. But I don't even want to count that. That's why I said three earlier. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. Laurie Strode, she's just uh, one of the, my favorite. Heroes in a horror film, and uh, I don't know, just something I remember when I saw Halloween for the first time, even even in the context of already loving horror movies, and it not being like the first, my first exposure to that that character that she pretty much created, that John Carpenter created with with Jamie Lee Curtis in that film. My my first time seeing it, it was just the experience that everyone had told me about, just like just how innocent she was, and how you know cute she was, and how surrounded by every element that basically put you in line to be killed in a I always had a movie. thing for Annie. Yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. Little short, saucy brunette, but yes. Who <laughs> yeah. shouldn't have went to the laundry room. <laughs> shouldn't have gone to the laundry but she looked cute in that man's shirt. She absolutely did. Uh, but yeah, Laurie Strode, my number one. Or not my number one. My first, because, you know, just seemed right. Well, she is kind of the she original right. final girl, and I think yeah. that's, a, that's a thing that people have started saying in the last few years, kind of post-Scream, I think when everyone became so aware of the formula. But you're right, at the time this movie came out, I think it was it was maybe an, an interesting choice to say the person we're going to follow is kind of the, the person who wants the least to do with any of this stuff. Yeah, that's a great point. And it actually segues into uh, my pick, uh, which is, <clears throat> you know, you were talking about different categories. I actually did come up with a category I called... Uh, uh, outmatched but improvising, which is like the Laurie Strode character. <laughs> sure. Like at no point does she become a badass. Sure, no way. But she, um, but she's always kind of struggling against it. So I thought of I thought in terms of those categories too. And my first category that I'll go to that actually dovetails perfectly with yours is a category I call the expert. Okay. This is the character who there is this greater evil that's going on, but this character comes into play, and sometimes they just kind of roll into town. Sometimes they you have to go get them. Uh, but they they know. Ronald, you were talking about recently. We were talking about movies about when someone goes and finds the the librarian. In these movies, <laughs> librarians always know a lot. But sometimes the guy who knows everything is not a librarian. He's a he's a psychiatrist who maybe has an attachment to the killer in a horror film who rolls into town and has known him since he was a little boy, oh, and God. knows that this little boy who never spoke. It's not that he was unable to speak or that he had some kind of uh, mental impairment, but that he was pure evil. 
And I'm talking, of course, about Dr. Samuel Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance in, I believe, I have to go to this list because he's in Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, and Halloween 6, Six essentially, the curse. the curse of Michael Myers. Now, <laughs> anyone who's seen those films know that knows that they kind of get gradually worse. Yeah. Uh, there is still something scary about Michael Myers in the mask, in the dark, that the, a lot of those movies, they can't, you know, you can't help but have a few scary scenes in them. But Donald Pleasance was, you know, he was an actor that made, like, real <clears> movies <throat> in the 60s and 70s leading up to being in Halloween, and it was very much like Alec Guinness playing uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. It was like, here's a sort of respected British actor kind of dignifying this this B-movie material. Sure. But I think the way he was used in the first film is just perfect. He, mm. he conveys just the right element of knowing what's going on. He can fill in the exposition, but he's got this tortured past that he just kind of hints at through <clears throat> through his feeling that he failed Michael in some way by not being able to cure him or help him. But even though, though he says he knew early on that he could tell that, you know, even when he was just a little boy, that the most you could do for society was just to keep this guy locked up forever, that he was never going to be any good. Mm. And I just think there's something so interesting about that and that extra bit of regret that's kind of piled on top of, like, he wasn't able to stop him, he wasn't able to keep him contained, and now he's hurting all these people. It kind of makes Loomis seem like the angel of death after a while, that every time, you know, he rolls into town, he knows everything, but he's also, like, it seems like his buddy Michael Myers is is killing everybody once again. So, um, yeah, I don't... I, I I wouldn't be able to point to any of those later films as performances you should check out, but particularly in the Halloween from 1978, which sounds like, Steve, you feel the same way. I just think Absolutely. it's... Every time I think maybe it, it doesn't he, hold he, up or it's not going to hold up, I yeah. see it again, and it just... It's the most elegant, creepy piece of filmmaking that I can think of in a lot mm. of ways. And actually, I had that character on my... He didn't make the cut, but yeah. you can't not consider Dr. Loomis. Yes. Great pick. The expert. Cool. Um... My, mine is, uh, well, so I saw this movie when I was a kid and it terrified me, but then I watched it recently because of the movie that was supposed to not be a prequel. It may have been a prequel. <laughs> and I realized that not only was she uh, a horror hero, but she was also acting her ass off. And that's, uh, Ripley. Sigourney Weaver in 1979's Alien. Um, <clears throat> there's something about... Horror gets a bad rap a lot of the times in terms of like acting and stuff like that. And uh, Ridley Scott took this movie incredibly seriously. It's a beautiful... It's a beautiful movie shot by shot. But there's something about somebody being put in the position that she was put in and reacting the way that she is. I mean, you could tell that she's she's in shape, she's beautiful, she has a really strong personality, but to see how she reacts to it, you know, she has to run sometimes, she has to hide sometimes, mm -hmm. she has to fight sometimes, and seeing a character kind of go through those stages in front of your very eyes and having it done in a way that isn't boring, it didn't feel, I mean, it, it didn't feel cliche, and it's now, which is crazy to think about all those horror films that have come after it involving aliens and stuff like that. To have this feel still original, and I've seen a shit ton of movies like that. Um, it's it's 
It's one of my favorites. Still. It's one of my favorite movies. Period. It's so good, <laughs> and and I'm so glad you picked her because that means that you know now there's a there, now I, I would I'm going to echo that yeah. I had her on my list <laughs> and I have another female which well, is that's a, good which is, that's good it's great. good to have a mix now we both get all it's not a total horror <laughs> sausage party tonight right 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 but uh, no but I think the reason I like that character it's another kind of <clears> category <throat> that I found that a lot of these people fall into which mm-hmm. is different from the outmatched but improvising person it's the reluctant badass it's the person who reluctantly becomes a person of action yeah and what I really thought was interesting about her in that that I kept thinking about was that if you watch that movie from the beginning, I mean, what makes that movie so special in a lot of ways is how naturalistic the actors are yeah. and the performances are and the world is. And that if you just saw that movie and you didn't know, you didn't have the weight of history of knowing that that Ripley character became so iconic, you wouldn't necessarily know that she was going to be the person to carry the day at the end of the film. I not mean, she's all. almost like not even that strong of a personality who gradually gets stronger across the film. So I think that, yeah, it's it's... It's almost like you take for granted that Sigourney Weaver is great in that. But if you go back and look at what she's doing, the way that she's playing this sort of softness and this sort of, you know, not quite deer in the headlights, but definitely a person who's 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 sort of ill prepared for what's about to happen. And then when it happens, though, she's just, you know, we just recently talked about gravity. It's another character who's just talking about it's it's survival, survival, survival every step of the way. So, yeah, great choice. Yeah, I think that uh, I think the good thing about that role is that it starts out as really like one of the weaker characters in the movie that really you don't think has anything to prove. And I mean, it's not even the lead actor in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd probably, watching that, like you just said, if, without the preconceived notion of, of who that becomes. You would latch on to Tom Skerritt. Exactly. Dallas is the lead of that film, which yeah. is a nice, it, it, it kind of throws you for a loop the first time you see it and see that character kind of evolve into that and to be the sole survivor and, and the scene in the escape pod at the end, it's just like one of the yeah more tense scenes I, I can remember watching when I was younger. Yeah. But, uh... <clears throat> Yeah, great. Ripley. Ripley. And the good thing about Alien, I think it's good that you mentioned Alien versus Aliens. Because mm-hmm. Alien is, I think, more straight up, like, I feel like it's more of a horror film. Yeah. It's like a slasher film in space. Well, yeah. I've heard people say it's like even like, it's like a haunted house film in yeah. space, you know? Yeah, and it's yeah. And, and Alien, she is that badass, and it's more sci-fi action and everything, but Alien itself is, is, is yeah, just a... It's a great horror film. I mean, it's cool that they evolved that character and that they did different things with each subsequent movie. <clears throat> oh, yeah. But I go back to the first one again and again as one of my favorite movies. That's and the other one. ones I'm like, I'm a fan of, but I don't hold them in the same esteem that I yeah. do Alien. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, my next pick is another female. Uh, this is uh, probably the evolution from Laurie Strode. And you mentioned it, John. But uh, it's uh, from the film Scream. And it's Sydney Prescott. I knew, um, I knew you were gonna pick. That. Scream is one. Of, I I'll say beyond horror films, Scream is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, a movie that just came along and uh, like kind of postmodernizes the entire slasher genre and its awareness of what those rules were that a character like Laurie Strode created. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney is somebody who is smart, likable. Um, very mature in terms of the characters that she's around in, in perspective. Somebody that um, when the reveal happens at the end of the film, is completely blindsided by it. But what we experience with her through the film, the plot, the script, doesn't make her dumb so that when that happens, you you know, you know can say, oh, you should have seen that coming. Because mm-hmm. no one really... I mean, a lot of people, the first time you saw Scream, many people did not predict that ending or the twist. Yeah. Um, and she's set up to be the last one standing, and you wonder when she starts breaking these rules, these decisions that she makes, while some of them are really bad, you know, and losing her virginity and, and things like that, you're wondering, oh, well, maybe she's not the one that will survive. 
Um, especially the way that film sets up the opening with Drew Barrymore's character being killed off so quickly. That just makes that film so self-aware and, and makes us aware of how it might be changing things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that her the way she plays that character and the way that character kind of goes to that film just fits the bill perfectly in a film that's so aware of trying to turn all of those rules on its ear. And, uh, you know, even being around for all the sequels, which, I mean, again, not really progressing in any way, but um, just becoming a very smart. This is something beyond Laurie Strode, um, you know, and not just surviving it. Um, it's just kind of trying to figure out how to outsmart them, even though that reveal, like, kind of, takes her by surprise so much it doesn't stop her and she does find a way to outsmart them in a way and uh yeah i mean sydney prescott i just is great great horror hero in my eyes i would i would piggyback on that uh just <clears throat> to add another character that would have been that was an also ran for me but since you're bringing up scream randy meeks yeah. uh the character played by jamie kennedy is a great like a great expert and i i i think that it's hard to remember now how fresh that movie was when it first came out, yeah. that kind of awareness about the horror movie. He, he was tempting to put him on there just because he does seem like he kind of conveys that whole thing of here's the guy who kind of knows the rules. Mm -hmm. It was the first time you'd heard that expressed in a movie. But yeah, I think Scream, I mean, I don't think you can do that again. I think, that, And I think that people have made enough kind of sincere slasher films since then that the comments it makes about the, the genre are still sort of valid. I haven't yeah. seen that movie in a long time, but I bet it holds up. I... I, I... I mean, I, I may be a little biased, but I mean, I watch that movie regularly. And I've never watched it and felt that it didn't. I think the, get, the the big thing about it was that it surprised a lot of people. And I think it was, it, in the end, it became a horror movie that were that was really for people that were smarter than the genre had become. Yeah. Um, and while it spawned tons of spinoffs that were way horrible and it kind of revitalized the whole genre in a way, that being the film it was and the character um, just basically breaking all the rules. Yeah. was just, I thought, a pretty incredible thing, and, and it, was, it was awesome to, to experience. Anything after, like, 90s horror is, <clears throat> is a pretty big feat. Like, the, the early, late 80s, early 90s stuff. Like, anything that you attempt to do after that point is really hard to follow up. Like, that stuff was amazing, like Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers. And to have something after that, post that stuff, and have it... <laughs> kind of hold up and you see that mask you see that mask now you're like whoa yeah it's that no, thing man mask, yeah, yeah that ghost face mask it's something pretty amazing about that sort of i don't know it's like it, it's gonna last it's gonna last forever you're always gonna see that well, mask they, they were very it. consciously creating something that sort of stood alongside all the big slasher film heroes i mean yeah. heroes i mean the the the, the slasher film movie monsters, whatever yeah, you want to call those. Yeah. They were adding Ghostface yeah. to the list. And he Michael had a Myers voice, which was really Freddy cool. Krueger and Jason Voorhees and all those characters. So in that sense, it was both very deliberate and kind of spoofing it at the same time. And yeah. I think that it, it somehow managed to sidestep take like the the jokes didn't take away the brutality no. of what happened to people in that and i think you know another thing that movie has going for it is that gut punch at the beginning of drew barrymore being the biggest name in the movie yeah and the, no indication from the trailers that she wasn't a, at least a big star of the movie yeah. genius marketing like but, you know she was the poster for that movie yeah like her and then it had like everybody else that was uh -huh. in it skeet all you know nev campbell rose mcgallan they were all trailed off in the and you know her name is like top billing and you're like oh sweet like <laughs> the, the film rolls you're like oh Drew Barrymore wow and it's like holy shit like what I, I don't know I guess that does the rules they're just out the window yeah. mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I, don't know. I, I, I there's there's only a handful of movies I'd say in the '90s in my high school years, like uh, that I would say I saw in theaters more than five times. And uh, there's probably like three or four movies, and Scream is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely <laughs> love Scream. One of my all-time favorites. And you know, Liv Schreiber, Henry Winkler. It's got a great like supporting cast. Yeah, why not? You know, I remember at the time when I saw that, just thinking that. I don't know. They did a good job of setting up a mystery of who it could be. Oh, yeah. And I think that was the other thing that's kind of hard to remember is that that was an element in a lot of uh, slasher films in the 80s. There was, like, nowadays we think of the the undead killer and that they just, all they have to do is bring him back. But back in the day, like, there's all these horror films like the original My Bloody Valentine. There's one called The Prowler. uh, Maniac, the original Maniac. There's a lot of these films where... They, they were each their own little kind of genre experiment, and frequently it was a mystery to you know. And you would gradually tell, as you often can, by who's getting picked off. Well, it can't be that guy. It can't be that guy. <laughs> sure. it can't be that guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that. Uh, did you, and you, did you guys both see Scream Four? Yeah, I even thought it had some. I thought moments. it was pretty solid. Man. Like there was still a there was a vein of viciousness going through it that made some of those kills just there was just a just like the always there was a kind of meanness to it yeah. that that kept it from seeming too sanitized. You know? I really like movies where like people fall off like it's like this person i love that about that movie i mm-hmm. thought i was pretty solid like i like i like scream 4 i think i just i don't know i think i you just want more from it I, I guess i wanted more like of a i guess i don't want to say closure but i, I really wanted them to really kind of try to brutally end that series and i think they kind of they kind of pussyfooted yeah, around that yeah. yeah like in the end i mean some of the some of the movie i really like and i i remember going back and watching it after the fact multiple times and I definitely like it a lot more now than I did like when I saw it opening weekend Mm because I think my expectations were just like you know unattainable because I just wanted everything from that movie uh like the whole like all these third killer theories that had been going around like I've I've believed since 1996 that there's been a third killer yeah and I was hoping that that would kind of fall into this film Mm. which would just blow my mind and you know it didn't happen so I don't know I, I do really like Scream 4 it just grew, it had it took some time to grow on me though. I wouldn't even I don't know. I just remember when I was watching it, just being <clears throat> like, okay, it felt like a scream movie. The yeah. only thing that seemed a little strange to me was bringing back so many characters from the earlier movies and not killing any of them off. Just the, yeah. the agreed. The law of horror films seems like it should be if you bring back three originals, <laughs> that one of them, one of them should, should die, and maybe Courtney Cox should be that person. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> yeah, and those that argue yeah. that, as friends of mine have, and I have, it's like, oh well, by not killing them, oh, it's breaking the rules again. Yeah, and blah, right. Blah, blah, blah. yeah right. Whatever. Just bring Randy Meeks back somehow. Yeah, somehow bring him back yeah. from the dead. They brought him back in the in the third one with the video. Or it's like the, the only use the only the use one. of Jamie Kennedy that isn't annoying. Just let him be Randy <laughs> Meeks. <laughs> That's it. You know. Uh, well, I'll go with a uh, person that. Uh, I mean, it's it's over the course of a couple of movies. In the first film, this character is kind of like almost like the male ingenue. He's the character who is the most innocent seeming <laughs> of the group of people that this horrible thing happens to. And it kind of it's almost like a twist on the survivor girl. He seems like the one least equipped to deal with what's going on in this remote cabin, and he's the survivor <laughs> at the end. But then the second film takes a totally different turn for the absurd and the slapstick, but it still keeps its horror roots. Of course, I'm talking about Ashley James Ash <laughs> Williams. Ashley. Played by Bruce Campbell. This to me was the most obvious choice because this was, and a friend of mine I was talking with about this, kind of conferring about my list. He he said the standard should be when is the good guy actually as interesting as the bad guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I do think that this is maybe the case can be made that Ash is. I mean, you watch these movies to see Ash, to see him, admittedly to see him get tortured and knocked around and cut his own hand off and all that kind of stuff. But the evolution of the character 
I mean, it's rather silly and absurd, but the fact that he goes from a guy who's just pushed to the absolute limit at the end of the events of the first film and then the kind of events that are recapped at the second film at the beginning, and then they go into this other place where it's just sheer madness. And I think that, A, you have to give Bruce Campbell credit as an actor for having every item on the set crashed on top of his head or thrown at him. But just the what the character goes through and the kind of madness that he experiences. There's this scene in the middle of the movie where he's in the he's in the middle of the cabin and the you know the bookshelves are laughing at him and the 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 stuffed uh, the taxidermy deer head on the wall is laughing at him and he starts doing this weird little dance bobbing up and down and laughing along with it <laughs> and he just it's 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 another one of those brain broken moments. But I just remember when I first saw that film in I don't know I was in high school and I remember I used to watch it. Literally, I think we would watch it every day after school in high school for like about a semester. I mean, and we would just rope different people in and say, come watch this movie, you know, because it was the craziest thing we'd ever seen. Um, I I read somewhere where Bruce Campbell said that Ash is a bad, slow thinker, but a good, fast thinker. And I think that is an interesting read on the character. And he also said he's incompetent at everything except fighting the evil dead. (laughs) And I do think it's like they kept it, you know, it's hard to say that that's like the most grounded character in the world, but if you remember how he was in the first movie and what he did in the second one, it does seem like it's such a perfect evolution of what the actor wanted to do and what the producers wanted to do and what the director was interested in. And it was this shared love of like weird Three Stooges style slapstick, which I, I don't even like Three Stooges or anything, but I, I appreciate that these guys brought that into this horror vein and still kept the scares reasonably scary, but went off into this direction that you can call campy or you can call it comedy or you can call but. <laughs> Whatever you call it, it's it's its own thing, and it was the first thing I'd ever seen that tried to do so much. And I think Ash, as a character, really embodies what's great about those films. I don't know that the character really makes as much sense. I think Army of Darkness is a really entertaining movie. I don't hold it quite as high as I do the the second film, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that in that movie, Ash is almost a little bit more of a cartoon, like a, a misogynist cartoon action hero character, which right, is funny, right. but not as... Not as just visceral as what he did in the second movie, but mm-hmm. definitely got to give it to Ash. Ash. Oh, it's my turn. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. So um, this this movie I didn't see until I was like 17 or 18. And uh, I really <laughs> thought that it was... I don't know. I like I like older <laughs> older horror films, and I actually I actually played the video game before I saw the movie, and then I saw the movie. I was like, okay, this is incredible, and and that was the thing. You son of a bitch. Okay, so the thing. You son of a bitch. The thing. The thing was the first. Well, okay, so Alien. If we talk about Alien and reacting to environments and and, <clears throat> and aliens and stuff like that, um, Kurt Russell's character R.J. Um, RJ McCready, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I th- I think we both had him on our list. Is Son that, of a is that one? Yeah. I know. So So you picked so we all had Ripley and McCready on our yes, list. Yes. Effing wow. crazy. All right. That means a lot. Yeah. They, they, it mm. it did something with lighting. Like the, the 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 first part of the movie it's like bright and then it gets dark and then it gets fucking crazy. Mhm. There's something about the first time that they see this alien and everything's like, ah! The, yes. Also, the volume of the movie just changes. Mm-hmm. It goes from like, that's why I like Alien a lot. The the kind of casual, the dynamic that all the friends had, I felt the same way about the thing. And then when it gets crazy, 
the volume of the movie just raises and the aliens mm-hmm. are loud and they're loud and they're screaming and shooting and then it just gets fucking bonkers. And there's something about when it starts and then it doesn't stop for the rest of the movie. I love that about it. And and it makes you appreciate there was a love that went into horror films then. Like that it's it it's an art. It's an art. And I think that it got lost somehow. Like there's there's an art that got lost in whatever it is now. It's it's like if if you were to describe um something to somebody and they just take away the shitty like the the things that make it the most exciting the blood the guts mm-hmm. and you miss what makes a horror film a horror film it's the build up it's it's the story it's the it's the tone the it's characters the in that film the characters like every one of those character actors like <laughs> within a few lines you feel like you know who those characters yeah, are yeah. but yeah Kurt Russell is just is is just awesome in that it's just something about seeing Keith David also <laughs> yeah yes and Keith David, incredible. Seeing all of them kind of interact with each other and then have all the, the aliens sort of whatever the break everything up the way they did. And I like I like <clears throat> movies that kind of have a scene and then it disappears and the other set of people are they get killed and then I I, I love well, that them. movie also is a, is a mystery like that you can find clips online of people like analyzing who might have been replaced and when it would have happened. Because if you watch that movie the first time, you just accept, as you said, just the kind of cascading action. Yeah. Yeah. But if you go back and try to piece together how it spread and who was real and who was fake, and it's it's there. It's I mean, I think to... it's all there, yeah. but I think it's set up to be a mystery. It's really set up to be a mystery. Yeah. It's, 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 this is like a Carpenter love fest. I love this. You know? But seriously, like John Carpenter was, was, you know, is, you know, he's in retirement seemingly now, but like he was an auteur. I mean, he was, he had his hand in every aspect of those movies from the music to the to the sort of feel to the the yeah. the way that he worked with those actors i think that he was i think he was on fire when he made the thing the thing might be my you know it's got to be one of my favorite carpenter films and he's oh, one definitely. of my favorite directors just because of he had that period where every year he was putting something out and it was it was crazy very <laughs> prolific and yeah that movie what one of the things that makes it great is the the escalating sense of what the fuck are we dealing yeah, with? It's, it's... And I think there's even a few lines where one of them says like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and you just feel it. You know, he's yeah. just like, right when you want to say it. And the, I love that it's like that age of everything's everything's uh, latex effects and all these yeah. weird scurrying puppety things. And it's a little bit campy looking, the but dog it's, still, scene it's still so weird. <laughs> still fucks with me. The uh. cage. I was like, what? what is going on? And it just kept getting crazier and crazier and crazier. There's something beautiful about that movie, man. Mm-hmm. There's something. It's great gorgeous about it like it looks good I, it, I think beyond just the movie like all the love for the movie i think kurt russell's performance yeah. as mccready is is what makes me love him as a character mm-hmm. oh, yeah. i think that guy who would uh like he, he wouldn't hesitate to kill you if it meant saving himself but he also would never like throw you under the bus well you see right there at the you beginning I mean? he yeah. doesn't hesitate to pour whiskey all over a computer if he loses at computer chess <laughs> right yeah. right right from the beginning this guy he's he's impulsive <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I actually in the category I had him I had him as the uh, category that I call the right person for the right moment or I've got this yeah <laughs> which is just like you have these guys who really I mean they, they don't he didn't have to learn he seemingly was a tough <clears throat> badass yeah. from the beginning you know what I mean he just was waiting all right let's deal with this but all those yeah. guys in that movie are so so crusty and yeah they're up yeah. in this weird harsh environment and they you know they seem to be sort of getting along but you feel like it's it's just I, a lot of strong personalities I think about Wilford Brimley a lot too yeah. and that you know, and I also the, Richard Dysart playing the doctor when he's doing the defibrillator on the guy, and the chest cavity <laughs> opens cool. up. 
they don't even they don't even actors like that don't even exist anymore facially like there's You're like right. something about them. well you certainly wouldn't cast a bunch of like 50ish looking guys in a in a horror movie that you were hoping to have a big opening night, sure, you know, you yeah. wouldn't do that. Like even when they did the thing, the reboot, remake, whatever that thing was, that was the, everything was kind of aged down from yeah. the characters in the original film. And I actually, we when some friends and I saw that remake, we went back and watched the original thing, though, or the thing that from 1982, the mm-hmm. Carpenter thing. And it was it was crazy how much like that we had this sense in our minds of like wow the characters just it just didn't feel not only was it not the same but it didn't feel like it had that same whatever that life that spark that the that the carpenter yeah, thing yeah. had and then when we went back and watched it it was like within seconds it was like oh yeah it was like we were it had none of this this yeah, sense of character no, and sense of like I, it, it, everyone felt interchangeable it was just a bunch of guys with beards and goggles out in the snow are they gonna what I'm wondering is it, and I know I wonder if this is like a time based thing. The people that we grew up watching, Tom Cruise's and and George Clooney's and all those people are getting older. Yeah. And and are they gonna are they gonna are they gonna be in movies that are kinda like this anymore? Well, Kurt Russell gonna, was young, you know or you mean like as well, far as like the Wilford Brimley like, type yeah, role like, and stuff. I, I'm wondering this is the first. Like, could you ever assemble this, a, a murderer's row of those guys yeah. and have them all just get picked off in a we crazy? We just, we just, film? oceans fourteen. We were, we were, we experienced the superstars, the superstars. We were the generation that experienced those people. Mm-hmm. And those people are getting older. Are they gonna? Is everybody gonna be like young and not so talented, or are they gonna be like? I, I can't figure out if if this change is the best thing ever. Like. I, I I love the place that a lot of the actors that I really like, like um, like Great Gatsby was was a pretty solid movie, and Jamie Foxx is getting older. These these actors are like thirty five, forty, and that's old in the acting years. Yeah, it is. You know what I mean? So and they're like, all playing a little younger, but you're right, they're all kind right, of hitting that point. They're all hitting that point, and I'm wondering if the quality of acting is going <clears> to <throat> decline, or if these people are going to take on these like incredible roles where they're in stuff like this, taking chances on like horror. You mean, okay, horror. Yeah, well, like, all those guys be... were like character actors, so it would be. I think that what you're probably going to see is some of those guys are going to acknowledge their age and play to that, and other guys are going to live in denial of it and yeah. you know keep dyeing their hair, and then eventually you've got like. The Al Pacino's of the world. Al Pacino, yeah, and, and, I hope, and, and, I hope that Brad Pitt doesn't become Al Pacino. <laughs> Never. I don't think he will. Brad, I don't think Brad he will. knows better. He he does, but, but I hope he conver- He listened to the episode about Al Pacino. <laughs> don't you think a lot of guys? do you think a lot of guys hit like sixty though, and they start going? You know, I, it is. If I'm gonna start dyeing my hair, now's the time. You know, like they they yeah. they. I think it does happen. Like Mike Michael Douglas looks like he's had some work done recently. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just a just a bit. Yeah, like a whole. I think I like people chin placed in there. People that embrace their age, like Malcolm McDowell. Like yeah. his face is like it has some he has an old face character to it. It has yeah. some character to it. It's like no, you see you're, him, you're like, man, he doesn't look like he did in Clock, a Clockwork Orange. Yeah. He looks different, and yeah. it's a very expressive face. He's he's embraced his age, and yeah, I, he's also embraced like being in wherever movie has a paycheck associated with it. <laughs> that's true, man. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. I'm trying yeah. to like, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a reason we, we had that and, conversation before too. And there's a reason why his Doctor Loomis is not the one that I, I like mentioned. Exactly. but it's not. Uh, it's not exactly. even close. It's yeah. not even close. So I don't know. But g- great, great pick, McCready's. Okay. I, uh, I love Kurt Russell, and it's probably. I mean, Kurt Russell's maybe one other character that might rival it, but I think that's my favorite. Who, Jack uh, Burton? Actually, no. I'm not gonna lie to you. I mean, I love that character. Yeah. I kind of love him in Tombstone. Okay. Yeah. No. Oh, there's nothing I mean, wrong with yeah. Wyatt Earp. 
Oh yeah. my God. He was like the epitome of cool to me <laughs> in my exposure to Westerns as a kid. I mean, I was like, what? But, uh, yeah, I love, love, love the thing. No, he was good in that. <clears throat> um, Tombstone. so with that being said, uh, I'm going to pull my audible or call my audible <laughs> and I'm going to just round out my, my tripod, if you will, of, uh, of the, 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 the final girls. Uh, and I'm going to interesting give... choice of word that you're a tripod for these final girls. Could it... <laughs> What's Steve been doing while watching these movies lately? Um, I've just been watching movies, you know. Okay. <laughs> you got something to say, John? You're like, you went for the mic. Oh, no. Oh, okay. I, I'm wondering who you're going to pick now. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give, uh, I'll give my last vote to another uh, formative horror movie in my, in my younger years. And this is uh, a second. A second vote for Mr. Wes Craven, and this is uh, with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Oh. <clears throat> and I'm going to give it to Nancy Thompson. And here's my reason why I have her on the list. In my exposure to horror films, like I mentioned about Laurie, um, she just kind of survived the 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 night that the, the boogeyman came home, mm. uh, or that Michael came home. And Sydney is the the, the modern version of of the final girl. <clears throat> mixing elements of Laurie Strode and Nancy Thompson. But the key thing that I remember about Nancy's character in, in, in Nightmare on Elm Street is she did, she was the one that basically decided that the only way to survive was to actually go after Freddy Krueger. Hmm. She, she's the one who figured out in this horror logic the only way to, to beat him was to bring him into our world. Because in his world, he can... He was basically undefeatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she's the one that basically goes after him, pulls him into the real world, has all these MacGyverous booby traps in the house, um, these badass traps. MacGyverous. MacGyver-esque. Oh, I like MacGyver- MacGyverous. I like MacGyverous. MacGyver-esque. Yeah, MacGyver-esque. Uh, I like MacGyverous, too. That works, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, because, like, in terms of her character in the film, like, her mom's an alcoholic, her dad is a useless cop, her boyfriend bites it uh, way early in the film. <laughs> awesome death scene in the bed. Johnny Depp. Johnny yeah. Depp. Um, but yeah, but she's the one that figures out how to beat Freddy Krueger. And and she does. I mean, the ending of that film is kind of, eh, it leaves it up in the air whether she actually did or not. But I, I believe she did in that film. Um, and the, the ending of that film, correct me if I'm wrong, has like an inflatable person pulled through a window. Through a, wind, a little like peep, like a small <laughs> ass window in the in the front door of, of the house on Elm Street. Um Nancy. Oh, yeah, man. I love that, that night. Th- that night, was the night only night. one where he was really, maybe in the second Scary. one too, but the first two were the only ones where he was played straight. And yeah. the first one, he was terrifying. Absolutely. And Heather Langenkamp, is Langenkamp, that the actress's yeah. name? Uh, yeah, I, she was, she danced around my list a bit too. I, just because of what you said, the strength of that character yeah. and how she she sort of, you know, it's the old familiar thing of the unlikely person kind of turning the situation around. But yeah, they, they actually had to figure out I mean, this was, you know, when you first saw that movie, I don't know about you, when I was a kid and I saw that movie, that notion freaked me the fuck out. Oh, dude. That something was, that, that, my, that my dreams my, were real. Yeah. I mean, like, you know. That, that still freaks me out. Have you ever had, like, a nightmare that you can't really get out of? Oh, yeah. Like, what? I can't There's a name for that like where, that. You, where you, like, your mind wakes up, but your body's not awake yeah, yet. And usually what terrifying. happens is it feeds into whatever you were feeling in the dream. So if in the dream you were standing up, you can kind of wake up and feel like you're standing up but can't move. Wow. And you can, like, look down. Have you ever had that, though, that sleep oh, paralysis yes. where yes. for a split second, and then you wake up and you kind of, well, either either then you fall back fully asleep or your body kind of wakes up. Yeah. But when you first wake up and you can't move, it's, like, it's the weirdest sense, and it always ties in with whatever 
whatever you were dreaming. Yeah. And it's like that moment in the dream where you want to run, but you can't run, yeah. you know? Yeah. That is a terrible feeling. Yeah, that movie... Yeah, you're right, though, John. You, you kind of got it perfect there. Like, the first one is where he's, like, really scary. And then it, it kind of plays it for laughs a little bit in the sequels. But, uh, but yeah, Nancy Thompson, super cute, kind of book worm, cute girl, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. <laughs> but she figures it out. I mean, she she kind of uses a... Uh, Uses her brain, the mind brain, the mind and brain survives, <laughs> but also beats him. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. And that yeah, was like is. one of my first times seeing a female lead or just a horror hero in, in terms of. Uh, and she shows up in one of the sequels or co- she shows up in a sequel as Nancy, and then in Wes Craven's New Nightmare as Heather Langenkamp yes. talking, which is actually a really good sequel. Yeah, in my opinion. it's actually an interesting movie. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy Thompson. In the voice that you said it in. Yeah. Nancy. Nancy. You have to be, it has to be like... <laughs> like, I do think when he started making the puns and stuff, it's like, I think at the time I was still into that character, but it's it's easy to see the change between this is a horror film and this is a movie for, you know, for fans of Freddy. Like, sure. Yeah. Like, exactly. the, in the first movie, you're really supposed to see him as repulsive and scary. And they kind of, then they realize Freddy's it. Dead was probably like the the height of like that. Like if, I was like, man, what is this at this mm-hmm. point? Like video game. I was like, man, it's. This I is mean, going you could hourglass, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like went to a weird place. It's like, man, <laughs> what is this movie? So, oh, did anybody see the remake? I didn't. I didn't. No, and I still want not, not good. Really, very disappointing. I really wanted to see it. I Freddy looks like an alien. Like That's what I kept hearing. Like some of the sh- shots, I think close-up shots, are I think they actually have makeup prosthetics and things like that. But a lot of the action shots are like CGI faced. Mm-hmm. Why would they do that? And he looks like it. Watch it. He looks like an alien. And I was excited because I like Jackie Earl Haley, and he yeah. played yeah, Freddy. Yeah. And some of what they did with his character and like more with like the child. I heard about that. Like, stuff, was really disturbing. When that could have been like kind of cool if the movie wasn't kind of weak. Uh-huh. I mean, I will say that I like it because. It's Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm always up for a remake, as we've discussed. Mm. But uh, oh, definitely a letdown. Oh, in boy. Boy. I compare it to like the Texas Chainsaw remake, which I, I oh. love. Dawn of the Dead remake, I love. And then, you know, the Friday the 13th, Halloween, they've grown on me. The Nightmare on Elm Street one kind of falls in the same. I love the Halloween one. It's grown on me, though. I didn't love it when I first saw oh, it. Oh, man, I love and the I've Halloween And I've seen it multiple one. times, and it's grown on me. But the Nightmare on Elm Street one is definitely. No. It's the movie that Rooney Mara like, doesn't acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Now that she's like a legitimate like star, mm-hmm. she's like doesn't ever like people. I remember reading interviews like when she was in like Girl with Dragon Tattoo and doesn't talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, wow. but she's like the lead. She's like the the lead character. Oh, she's Nancy, yeah, but she doesn't want anything to do with it. Oh, wow. But yeah, really, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see it though. Watch it. Watch it. Huh. Tell me what you think of uh, Alien Freddy. <laughs> so were they just trying to make it like more realistic or graphic like burn yeah, like, makeup like his f- features are kind of burned off or I think so I think it, yeah I don't know I, yeah I don't have an answer because it, it definitely was definitely well, that, that whole looked... thing with like Freddie possibly being like like the, the reason why he, he got killed was like molestery sort of that was that was always like a thing though. That was yeah. always like a theory. No, that, no, that was, was always the, the fact. I mean, no, that, that was, was it. in the movie, but yeah. like it never. I don't think it ever really kind of went as you you were went as far into explaining it and like seeing the characters actually have it explained to them right. through their dreams as in this remake, uh, which could have been, which is actually done kind of really kind of cool and really? it's kind of creepy. But it just I could not. I was so bothered by his face. by his face and I his s- voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, the voice. It, oh. Dude, it just it it sucked. 
It really sucked. It's crazy how a couple things, tweaking a couple things could have made it. Because I keep hearing those things about it. Like, if his face looked more like the... I don't know. I don't understand why they have to change things like that. They're like, you know, we have to change the way his face looks. I don't, I've never understood stuff like that. I can see them saying, let's make it more, like I said, let's make it more gruesome and kind of more, more realistic to what a burn victim would look like. But that looks very CGI. It is CGI. Yeah. But it's just horrible. Like, yeah. it, it, like the eyes are really like, like oval, ovally like slanted in towards the nose, like, a, like an alien. Oh. And yeah, I don't know. It's disappointing. But Nancy in the original. Cool. Go to gal. Well, there seems to be a theme, you know, survival girls. Um, I I had I'm going to do some serious walkering on this category, okay. but I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, please don't. Oh, I don't God. think I'm gonna, I knew it had to happen. I'm not going to walker you out of house and home on this one, okay. Ronald. I don't think. Um, but if I do, I'm really sorry to anybody. No, it's fine. Because on this list, you know, this was this was my back to my sort of my little categories that I kind of like to work with. This was my outmatch, outmatch but improvising category, okay. and I tried to think of somebody who would who would fit that. And one of the obvious ones that came to me. Uh, I considered Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance in mm-hmm. The Shining. Uh, I had Jamie Lee Curtis as a possibility on this. That role. I, I didn't want to get into the Ty West debate on this podcast. <laughs> so Jocelyn Donahue as Samantha in House of the Devil. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go any further than to say I thought she was great in that performance. But we don't. We, no, we don't need a Ty West debate in this conversation, <laughs> yeah. Steve. Because I kept coming back to Liv Tyler as Kristen McKay in The Strangers. Okay. Oh wow, that's a great one. Because. She sort of acts the way I think I would act in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I think that she's she's desperate and she gives into the fear, but she finds this kind of inner strength. <laughs> and I think that it's it's almost like a deceptive thing that even within the movie you would see her. I mean, she's she does a lot of crying, she's kind of cowering, but you see that she is thinking and she is kind of constantly moving, and she's the character who goes through the most harrowing kind of transformation as far as the tone of the film. I, I, I was going to be cute and say both of them because I think as a couple, the, what makes that movie interesting is that that first half hour really does plunge you into their world and their life. And it was like characters I cared about right. before the shit hit the fan. But I just think being that person, if you were in this house and you were by yourself and your your significant other has just left on one of those late night errands that someone goes on when they want to get away from you and you want to, you know, you, everyone needs some time. And so you're kind of feeling guilty. And then to have the, all this awful stuff happen... And, and it's all about sort of how they never really got to find that moment of peace together that they w- were expecting to have that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and her character, just having the guilt that she was feeling on top of what she goes through. I just always think about that movie as, as one of the... I mean, we've talked about it, I think, a couple times before on this podcast, but I just think of it as one of the genuinely, you know, like traumatizing experiences I've had with this type of film in the theater in recent years, where I was actually hunched down in the middle of a relatively, if not totally empty theater, except for myself in the middle of an afternoon watching this movie. And I remember just feeling like someone was going to sneak up behind me and cut my throat, you Mm. know, because so much of the movie is all about them kind of being toyed with. And I think that as much as that plot is sort of gets flaccid about two thirds in, and it really is just, okay, we know they're being toyed with. So it kind of gets dragged out. I think that Liv Tyler's character keeps thinking and even with very limited options, she keeps looking at ways to better her situation. And uh, and yeah, even though the movie would keep indicating the odds are against this character really escaping this, it's great to see a character keep trying to survive. So cool, Liv Tyler. Uh, mine is a a female survivor. For <clears throat> there's something pretty amazing about 
the way the way things used to be in terms of acquiring movies, like you would have to go out and look for something. Everything wasn't handed to you on one site. You had to find some shit. I remember it was 2004, and I kept hearing about this movie, and I didn't know anything about it. My friend kept saying, see it. I think it's called Good Intentions. I think that's the name of it, right? So I, I looked up Good Intentions. That, that was not the name of it. Then I found out that the movie was French. Still couldn't find the movie. Oh, okay. Then hmm. I found the movie. I couldn't find it on DVD. On a DVD that wasn't French, so I downloaded it. It had French subtitles, and I watched it with my friend in the dark. And boy, did it fuck with me. It was high tension. High tension hot, is one. Hot tension. Hot tension. No, it's one of those movies that you watch and you realize why people don't like like uh, a certain type of horror film that, that's, that's not... So the, there's two types of horror films that really exist in terms of this extreme level of gore. They're the ones that kind of turn the camera when it happens, and then the ones that show it. And this was one of those that showed it, but kept the camera on for longer than it should have. And and something, it was, every scene was like that. Jarring and scary. And the female lead, um, oh, what's her name? <clears throat> Marie. Maria or Marie. Um, there's something very scary about a situation where, well, the difference between like any of the other movies like Alien or any of the, like Nightmare on Elm Street is that there are other people involved. From the beginning of this movie, it was just her in this situation watching people getting annihilated. Mm -hmm. And this movie was incredible to me from start to finish. And every time I watch it, I still feel that, that high tension. I, I, it was literally named because it was super high and and sort of suspense and and you didn't know what was going to happen and when the guy who who was chasing around touched something he destroyed it it wasn't like somebody half got away he would rip a limb off he would he would mm -hmm. behead somebody that's what i loved about it and she had to kind of the scenes were done so well and the twist is so cool that when i watched it i felt like man maybe i should watch this one more time and i did Mm -hmm. so high tension man changed my life that that's actually so i you don't know this you don't know this and i may not have ever said this to you but you're the sole reason why i've watched horror films after a certain period of time and that's a really nice thing well thanks man but high tension was one of the movies that i saw in a period that i didn't like horror films mm -hmm. and you talking about horror films that kind of was like man maybe i can find another high tension sure. and i and i have since found good movies that that's are, awesome so. Well, Alexander Aja or Aha or uh, Aya or yeah. Aja, let's say it Aja. Works. Alexander Aja, who directed that, also directed a few other movies. I mean, he he's kind of fallen off a little bit, but he's he had right. a, a run there for a while of you know pretty pretty decent movies, pretty interesting, like just well crafted movies. Yeah, and this this didn't feel like it. It's those things like you watch those like gratuitous violence that's just for no reason, and then you watch a movie like this. And it feels very intentional. It's not like, oh, this person got the head cut off for no reason. Oh, this person got thrown through a window. And mm -hmm. it feels like this person's kind of honing in on this <clears throat> on this girl. And it gets worse and worse and worse and mm -hmm. worse. And it goes from like a very broad field-like sort of situation until the, this tight situation. And it gets worse and worse. And I and I love that. And one of the one of the coolest like 
horror movie reveals also. Oh, like, man. Yeah. yeah. The one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah. One of the best reveals I've ever seen in a movie, period. Honestly. So, high tension. Good pick. Uh, so, this is this is my last one, right? It's John, your last one. on our last round. Yep. Well, since Ripley and since McCready <laughs> have already been picked, I'm, I'm on a list right now where I'm like, I don't know what to do. So, I'm going to go... I'm going to go bananas right now. I'm going to throw out my B-movie, one of my all-time favorite B-movie horror movie heroes. Mm-hmm. And that is Ray Cameron from Night of the Creeps. <laughs> I don't know if anybody out there listening has ever seen Night of the Creeps. Yes. I'm, I've never seen this movie. Yes, it's great. It is just, I I don't know. I've watched this movie so many times as a kid. Um, it's basically kind of like mixes elements of a zombie film with slashers and alien invasions it's got a nice little mashup of all the types of horror genres that i that i love um very tongue-in-cheek basically you know the sorority and the 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 geeky guys and he falls in love with a girl and he's the he he's the hero of the film Mm -hmm. but that's not my hero yeah my hero is uh played by uh was it tom tom atkins Mm -hmm. uh detective ray cameron uh yes (laughs) one of the most underappreciated horror movie heroes of all time I think he's a badass he doesn't give a shit about anything <laughs> you think he might he could probably take his own life at any moment in the film he's so depressed yeah. <laughs> from things that happened to him in his past that, that relate to what's going on uh, And but, but, but best of all he has his own catchphrase thrill me oh my god that, that, that's like he, he answers the phone thrill me you know he <laughs> no, shoots right. he shoots the, the, the zombie at the end <laughs> before he fires the gun Throw me. You know, he lights the fucking building on fire with a mat with a cigarette he pulls out and throws it on the gasoline. He's going, throw me. It's just what? like you wait for it and you're like, oh, you just said it. Those bastards are dying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they re-released the film like a few years ago on uh, like a special edition DVD like in 2009 or something, 2010. And it had all these cool behind the scenes. And Tom Atkins, like he was in a few other films that I remember. Like he was in like the horrible Halloween 3 season of The Witch. But uh that's right. I just yeah. remember him as Ray Cameron from Night of the Creeps. If you haven't seen Night of the Creeps and, and enjoy kind of like the slither. You didn't like it? Uh, I did, but it's just like slither. Like what those things were. This It's gross. gross. It's it really so gross. gross. But I think that if, I like the tone it of it, though, is Night of the Creeps definitely has a similar kind of... It's gross. It's creepy. It's got a certain amount of like... It's silly. Th- the things that happen to people are awful, but it's also silly. Yeah. It's like yeah. the stuff. Did you ever see the... It was yeah. like the stuff. Yeah. You ever see the stuff? It's, it's mm-hmm. similar to that. I mean, but this is much more cam- like much more campier, uh, and also kind of more of a zombie. Like it's like an ex- it's like another. <laughs> oh, here's a different way of arriving at zombies. You know, mm. <clears throat> right? Oh. Exactly. Like it's a different. It's a different. Uh, it's not. It's not radi- radioactive sludge that got dumped near the cemetery, or it's not. You know, whatever the different. It's weird that the most zombie movies just skip the. The reason, you know, yeah. for a while there, they they would there would always be like a radio. You'd hear about there was an asteroid that crashed nearby, and then everybody well, would start. Yeah, there's like and this movie, like I said, has like aliens. It has zombies. Yeah, as a different, you know, it all comes from a point. But there's a slasher walking around with an axe, like that. Mm-hmm. That is an essence wow. of a zombie. But it just has so many funny parts, and there's like a little like there's a, this Asian janitor in the film <laughs> who like he he, he he keeps saying something like. They're screaming like banshees, and he, he says it over and over again. And anytime, like I, I remember that quote as a kid. I say like like banshees all the time in life, and it always goes back to Night of the Creeps and that janitor. Um, it's got like the wheelchair bound like best friend who can't, or he's on he's on crutches, 
and he can't walk, but like when he gets taken over by it, like he walks and he and he's got that sentimental moment where he leaves the message for his friend saying like. I walked again, man. I walked again. And you hear him like take his own life. Oh, <laughs> it's, no. like, it's like creepy, but <laughs> it's sappy, but it's so bad. But I mean, Night of the Creeps, probably my favorite B horror film of all time. Yeah. And that, and the detective, man, Ray Cameron. Night of the Creeps. Thrill me. There it is. <laughs> I'm glad I got to throw him in there. So thank you, Ronald, for picking my other two. No problem. You know, that's, that's like, it's his groovy. You yeah, know, if Ash has got groovy. That's it. And Freddie's got Nancy. Then yeah. yeah. Then you've got Thrill Me. Who directed that? I feel like it's a name that I'm supposed to be Night of the Creeps. Man, you got me. That's a freeze warning going on right now. What? What the hell? Fred Decker. Yes. Who did uh Monster Squad? Oh my god, Monster Squad. Yeah. Love Monster Squad. I don't remember too much. It's about all like the classic universal monsters, like yeah. okay. that come these kids and Wolfman's got nards. Was, <laughs> was a savage in that movie? A savage? Like Ben Savage or... No. no. Like I don't think so. I think it would have predated any of the Savage Bros. Okay. Got you. Savage Bros. Well, I will... You know, I will. Have, I have to say that as we've gone along, this list has gotten crazy because, you know, once you start throwing in your audibles and your alternates, you start thinking, am I, am I ending... Am I, am I ending on something that I'm... That is not my favorite. That's not my top choice in this in this case. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, and throw a little appreciation just because we're on the... We're on the Alexandra Aja train here. I'm going to throw a little appreciation to Aaron Stanford as Doug Bukowski from the Hills Have Eyes remake. Um, I think that this character, when I saw this film, <laughs> stuck with me because it's a great, you know, it's, in a lot of ways, that movie is kind of paint by numbers and it's like elevated B-movie material because Alexandra Aja, as you saw with, with High Tension, he's able to take, just by the craft of his filmmaking, he's able to take subject matter that might seem kind of you know, pedestrian, and kind of turn it into something a little more artful. Right, like, right. a lot of what made High Tension great was the way it was shot and the way it was put together. And the Hills Have Eyes remake, which spawned a terrible sequel, and is <laughs> itself a, a, a remake of, a you know, Wes Craven. His track record is very spotty in a lot of ways, but he's made a lot of kind of important films. But the one thing that they did with this movie that I thought was interesting as a remake was they they kind of spun it out and they did a good job of that. Let's update this idea for modern audiences and and keep it creepy. Mm-hmm. Because what happens to the family that gets lost in the desert in this film is truly awful. Like, what happens to everybody is truly terrible. But Doug Bukowski, the character played by Aaron Stanford, who was also, I believe, in X-Men United. Was yeah. that the name of the second one? Um, he, he <coughs> plays a character who's set up at the beginning to be the... I mean, they even make a point at the fact that he's like a pacifist. He's kind of like a liberal. He's supposed to be kind of like a wimp. And mm-hmm. he's positioned against his father-in-law, who is played by Ted Levine, who's Big Bob in this. And he's... He's you know, you know, red red meat eaten American man, and he's out there, and he's dealing with his son-in-law who he thinks is a pussy, and and it's all about when it comes down to it, and the mutants have attacked, and they've done every awful thing to this family that they can do. The only person who can go into hell essentially and save his infant daughter is the the pussy, you know, the liberal wimp from the beginning of the movie, and so th- th- there, there's a, his infant daughter. There's, <laughs> there, there is a, but there is a point in the movie where his character sort of makes the choice to to man up, and and yeah. and I just remember that transformation, and what follows is a series of attacks and fights that just push. They would push. I mean, you, you, if you had an action hero in this role, mm. it would be like, oh, this guy's got a, a tough road to hoe going up against these these crazy cannibalistic mutants. And they also they have you know the, the the series of mutants that he comes into contact with get they get increasingly more disgusting and kind of <laughs> um, uh, you know like 
evil like it's definitely that whole thing of like well they're so messed up physically that they have to be evil nobody who looks like that could be nice you know right, right. and they do they do have a couple of, i guess there's one little mutant girl who despite being ugly does have a good good soul but all these they're just the nastiest villains that you can imagine and what they do is so wretched and you know they're up against such odds but you know that you've got to go in and if you you know save the baby save the baby you got to <laughs> especially if it's your baby so seeing him realize that he's the only person that can go in it's kind of like a it's the it's the final guy version of the final girl it's the a, the person who's least equipped to handle this awful situation going in and having to show some metal mm. and i think like the last third of that movie is really just you know him coming up against these these crazy, disgusting mutant characters. And it's hard to, to point to that movie and say, yes, a, a remake of a horror film called The Hills Have Eyes that's about cannibalistic mutants, that it would actually be an artfully made movie. But when you know that Aja is the director behind it, it's got a really nice visual sense. And I think he just, similar to the way that uh, Brian Bertino, the director of Strangers, is just able to use the frame and the, the shot composition in such a way to create this sense of dread. I think it courses through this movie. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen it really since I first saw it, but it has always stuck with me, and particularly that character of Doug Bukowski, just that the guy who's, you know, pushed too far, and I don't know that I would be able to do what he does in this movie. Yeah. it's <laughs> a good pick. Cool. Oh, actually, I love that remake. I think that remake's great. Yeah. the uh, All the scenes in the trailer, like when they first come, oh my God. Yeah. Woo. Brutal. Yeah, absolutely brutal. Um, what, what, what do you got, Ron? Mine is Bring it a, home. a bit of a wild card. Um foreign movie because i love my movies. surprise surprise i love my movies foreign and i especially love them swedish uh so the movie that the movie is it swedish it might be swedish okay so this movie <laughs> i saw i saw in, you love them swedish <laughs> and then wait a minute my whole premise could be flawed right um <laughs> it's actually canadian yeah it's canadian no, I'm, i don't know what you're talking about. okay so um, this person is a hero, but also the villain at the same time, because once she comes into this apartment complex, right. she wreaks havoc. Let the right one in. Yeah. So I, she's a hero because she was basically with this kid whose life was pretty miserable before mm-hmm. she met him. And then once they kind of came into each other's lives, they they helped each other a lot. That that is the hero element, and I guess the villain element is her just destroying everything around her except for him. Well, does anybody have any also rants that they just have to get um, out there? I would uh, I would say uh, I had uh, Chief Martin Brody from Jaws. I didn't really include it because everybody was giving me shit about Jaws not being a horror movie. So I just I mean I firmly believe that it is, but I it didn't movie include shook it. up the world. It was um, I feel like it was a horror. And the other, like, kind of genre-wise gray area, I had uh, Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. <clears throat> it's probably the smartest uh, hero in, in a horror movie. Uh, not only hunting down a serial killer, but also having the guts to basically work with and stand up to a greater villain mm-hmm. in, in, in terms of her a partner. Uh, I, I love that, that dynamic with her and, and Anthony Hopkins. I think she's one of the... yeah. A standout for sure, especially just among female lead characters of, of any genre. But those are really the only two. Everybody else I had got mentioned: Loomis, um, Ripley, and you guys. You know, mentioned them. That's all I really had. I had uh, Allison Lohman as bank loan officer. Christine Brown in oh, Drive yeah, Me to Hell. Drive me to hell. 
I had uh, Zelda Rubenstein as Tangina Barons from Poltergeist. Okay. So yeah, she was very good. And I also had Griffin Dunn as Jack Goodman in An American Werewolf in London. He's a character that kind of serves the purpose of being like that spirit guide or expert that what he's telling David that needs to happen is something that has to happen in that mm-hmm. movie. He's telling him basically that, you know, you're, you're a werewolf now and you're going to hurt all these people and you have to die. So that's an interesting thing to have your friend telling you. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So and then I also had uh, the whole Freeling family from Poltergeist. That was another thing I briefly considered. I think Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth Williams, the pain that they go through with their little girl being gone and everything that they kind of suffer as a family. I think that movie really holds up as one of the few movies from that era that when I see it scares me in the same way it did when I was a little kid because it's all about the scary tree outside the window or the what's under the bed or the clown across the room. And I think those things never stop mm. being scary, you know, no matter how how old you get. And one more that I think is for me, as you were saying, Steve, kind of a, a genre uh, twist, uh, whether this is a horror movie or not, but I had Matthew McConaughey as Fenton Meeks in Frailty. Oh, yeah. oh man. Which is a, a movie that I almost, I felt like saying too much. I had this one written down as just too spoilery. Like yeah, you can't really, t- you can't really talk about Frailty. who his character. Frailty was good. Can't really talk about who his character is and what he's doing in that movie without giving away the thriller aspect of it. But I think you know, I mean, Bill Paxton, who knew, you know, wrote. He didn't write, but he, Bill Paxton, starred in this movie and directed it. Mm. And it's such a really assured piece of genre storytelling that when you get to the end, <clears throat> you, it's the the reveal really turns it into. It's a really neat kind of supernatural. It's almost like a, a story about a weird superhero who's got this weird gift, you know, yeah, and you yeah. see how they accept it. So yeah, frailties. That, that's a great one of those film. movies where you like, man, what what does he have to do? What do they want to do? Yeah. It's, it's gets crazier and crazy. I really like that movie. But it's a great one where you feel as it ends, you like the pieces are falling into place. It's like it's a good twist movie where it's yeah. satisfying as the pieces are falling into place to replay the movie and to, to you feel like the movie wasn't just playing games with you and being smarter than you. It actually is a reveal that that kind of deepens the movie. So yeah. you started off the right way, Ronald. These are characters that you like to see somebody who's kind of pushed up against the wall. You like to see somebody who's who's doing... You, you hope you never have to go through that stuff. And yeah. it's great to find a, a someone to identify with in these movies who who's, you can sort of... I, I do think it serves the purpose... This kind of getting scared, it does serve the purpose of something that, you know, we don't have predators chasing us all the time. We don't have all these things in our in our daily life. Now, apparently you you did have a scary incident where you had to, you, it was a Craigslist incident and you were worried you were going to get jumped yeah. going down there to get a television. But in general in life, <laughs> we don't have these moments where we feel like we're about to get jumped. So, True. you know, I think I think there there is something about these characters that you love because of what you've seen them go through. Oh, yeah, definitely. Those are... Horror film heroes. You just right? put a bookend on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. As always. <laughs> You're going to end it like that. <laughs> just throw it out I have, I have one, one little bit of business that I wanted to throw out, which is that um, and because we're on this topic, it seems like a good time to bring this up. I, mm. I uh, just on a lark last year, I recorded a song about Dr. Loomis. Really, that, uh, I was. It was kind of. I was using it as like an analogy for if you had a friend who you thought went a little too far sometimes and needed to kind of be held in check, and yeah. you were tired of their shit, but you were still trying to be gentle with them. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of assumed, well, what if that was the way Doctor Loomis feels about Michael Myers? That he's got this attitude of like, Michael, come on again, all these people. <laughs> so I wrote this song from, but in that vein, 
uh, that I thought we might use as our outro music today, if that's oh, all okay. right. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to, uh, I, I've sort of accepted a challenge from some people, and I want to throw it out there to all the movie schmovie listeners, which sure. is that when I posted recently, because it was October again, I, I reposted my Dr. Loomis song, and some people, some, some friends, sort of started challenging me to write other songs about movies. <laughs> right. So at the moment, I'm doing a close reading of the, the film Crawl, to see if I can write a song about that. And I don't know, I haven't found my angle yet, but I was going to throw it out there to the listeners. If anybody wants to suggest the subject, a, a, a movie that you'd like to see someone write a song about, send it in. I don't know, hit our Facebook page. Uh, you know, there's what are the various ways they can get in touch with us, Steve? Uh, movieshmovie at gmail.com. That's one way to do it. Facebook.com slash movieshmovie. See, there you go. Twitter.com slash shmovie. Yep. That's Ooh. our call. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of ways. And there's always movieshmovie.net, which... No one goes to. Yeah, right. We don't even go to. <laughs> yeah, so if anyone's hearing this and they have a movie, they were like, you know, I'd like for someone to write a, a like a synthesizer-based novelty song about that movie. I wonder if anyone could do it for me. Well, I'm your man. I can't promise how quickly it will happen, but I am ex- I'm accepting assignments. I'll take the Definitely challenge. by the time they remake that film, John will have a song to write. <laughs> Guaranteed. That's cool, yeah. I'm excited to actually hear oh. it. I mean, I listened to it when, yeah. you, when you posted it, but uh, as our outro, that'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, man, awesome. It was a great, another horror. This is our third one, which is mm-hmm. crazy, crazy, right, Ronald? About, right. I mean, craziness. Weird. We'll have to get a good idea for next year. Maybe there'll be a good uh, angle we can come. I'm sure John will come up with one. <laughs> I'm working but, uh, on it now. The horror movies, our heroes, that they were. And uh, hopefully, maybe... I'll, I'll say this right now. I'm always excited for a new, great horror film. Me, so me like, I, I love the idea of the possibility that there might be a movie coming out, you know, soon that maybe there's a character that might make the list. I feel like the girl from Your Next almost made me. I almost list. put her on my list. And for I sure. think that's really cool that like a movie can still come out and have somebody that's either badass enough or smart enough or a combination of whatever quality it takes to survive or even not survive. Like Ronald was kind of getting at before we started, but um I love the genre and I love talking about it and uh it's awesome to kind of go over some of the the heroes that make you root for them. Mm. It, was, it was good times. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But uh, everybody have a happy Halloween. Absolutely. Uh, safe and happy Halloween. Mm-hmm. So safe. Um, be, caref- be careful if you're getting candy from strangers. As yep. always, check your candy before might you eat it. Might have ecstasy in it. It might have a, That's, very, a variety of, of not good things. When I was a kid, they used to talk about that all the time. Like stickers that had... <clears throat> ecstasy on them or like it'd go through your skin uh, that was crazy man that i remember I, it that. made me not want to touch stickers yeah. for a very long time and that was a tough time because back then stickers were like the thing stickers were huge oilies and fuzzies right. all those really cool and frank the, the stickers might... <laughs> uh not and frank and frank, and frank. <laughs> who made them paul frank who made who made, uh, yes, was that her I brother paul frank i think paul frank not her brother frank. i think it had Anne in it didn't no. it your copy of Diary of Anne Frank didn't come with a sticker, Ronald? It did, actually. It, it had a sticker in it. Give it out. It Anne came Frank with like sticker. a sticker and like this really old gum, this dry, yeah. crumbly gum. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So that was good. And that was, uh, that happened. Ronald, Steve just kind of did what you normally do at the end of the podcast. I, know, just <laughs> I figured I'd give you the night off, Ronald. <laughs> you seemed like you needed it, how stretched out you were about yeah. your TV. Oh yeah, from the from the shady character, but uh, you're welcome, buddy. You know what? In that case, you're my horror movie hero. Oh, thanks. Going man. through with your Craigslist trade, yeah, very risky stuff. I could have died. Very risky. I could didn't. have died to death. That's the crazy part about dying it. Dying to death is the worst dying Fuck. way. You're you could telling have, me. You could have got jumped. <laughs> yeah, he could have tried to snatch my dick off. 
<laughs> and there it went. Yeah. You got it back. <laughs> Came through at the end. As always, you've made our day. Thanks, guys.